everybody. Welcome to The Export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, a.k.a. Ethan Tate, a.k.a. somebody who I got to know, leading up to the start of training camp. Which Titan, not named DeAndre Hopkins, are you most excited to see? Not named DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, the obvious answer for me is I always going to be Big Jeff. Uh, I probably would say... Um, Monty Rice and Chig O'Connor. Okay, show some love, some linebackers to tight end. Monty Rice would be an interesting one, especially uh, with what's his name leaving. He should definitely get a little bit more plans. I'm excited to see what he does. Um, and then Chigo. I mean, everybody's talking about D Hop. Traylon Burks is expected to make a big jump in his second year, and I think Chigo could be do the same thing. Yeah, but um, we got a lot to talk about. First off, we are going to go ahead and look across the league to some signings and some big extensions because I don't know why everybody wants to get extensions done this week, but we saw quite a few. And then we're going to rank the top five offensive players by position. And then with the NBA, we are going to take a look at some of the most interesting talking points in our game, Believable Over Foonery, such as is Paul Pierce better than Dwayne Wade and are players requesting trades hurting the NBA. But before we get to any of that, please share check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk some league signings coming out out of Baltimore. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens signed Melvin Gordon and Arthur Mall led to one-year deals. Not gonna lie, I was cool about the Melvin Gordon move. I love the Arthur Mallette move. One, because I think he's one of the more underrated, under-the-radar cornerbacks uh, in the league. And also, he's a Memphis man, so it's always good to see a Memphis man get paid. But, alternatively, cornerback Marcus Peters signs a one-year deal with the Raiders, effectively ending my hopes of him returning to Baltimore, which sucks. But it is what it is. And then in a more surprising news, Jimmy Graham at the age of 36 is returning to the Big Easy after signing a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he could have one big year before he ends his career? Or do you think this might just be a nostalgia type deal? I think it might be a nostalgia type deal where he might he might mess around and have like one or two like throwback Jimmy Graham games, but I don't think he's gonna be like I don't see him getting anywhere close to like a thousand yards receiver or anything like that. Yeah, I don't. It'll be interesting to see if he makes the final roster. Because they still have Taysom Hill on the roster. He's making a good amount of money. They brought in Foster Moreau, another Louisiana kid. Um, they still got Jawan Johnson on the roster. And then Jimmy Graham. I don't know if I'd say he was just going to be a camp body. But I think that if he tops 200 yards and maybe a couple touchdowns, that's a win for Jimmy Graham. Especially because, honestly, I had thought he already retired. I'm kind of surprised that. He got signed. But it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Big Apple with the New York Giants, who have been quite busy. Earlier in this week, uh, they signed running back James Robinson and wide receiver Cole Beasley to one-year deals. And finally, it seems that the saga between them and Saquon Barkley is over, or at least for the time being. Um, After they agreed to a one-year deal worth up to $11 million um, and Saquon got a $2 million sign-in bonus off the top. So, 
It's only a one-year deal, so essentially it's kind of like the franchise tag, but he's making a little bit more money. Ethan, do you think that this will be Saquon's final season in New York or that they're going to be able to work something out long-term throughout this season? I think it's still going to be Saquon's final year in New York. Um, from the standpoint of I don't necessarily know if it's going to be a team that might look to give him like the huge payday that he's looking for because of the overall value nature of the running back position. But I think in situations like these type of contract disputes, um, some bridges might be burned and they just haven't like fully shown themselves yet. So I could mess around. I won't be surprised if we look up and we see Saquon on another team after this season. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, this was definitely a really arduous process and I mean but if you're the Giants, you have to work something out with him. I don't think either of us believe that him holding out was the best option just because at running back, it's such a costly thing to do. But, I mean, without him, I fear that the Giants wouldn't make the playoffs. And so with him back in tow, I think it gives them another chance to try to go all in, kind of burn the bridge, and hope that they make a deep run with one another. But, yeah, like you said, I don't think something's going to work out because best of case scenario for Saquon, you have an amazing year and somebody's like dang you're too good not to pay you or on the opposite side Saquon has a bad year the Giants can easily get out of the deal and he moves on and they can find somebody younger and cheaper to replace him so I think this will be the final year for him there as well but continuing on talking about the Giants they made another big contract splash and re-signing um, offensive tackle Andrew Thomas to a five-year, $117.5 million extension with over $60 million fully guaranteed. Um, going down to the Houston Texans, they re-signed offensive tackle Titus Howard to a three-year, $56 million deal with 36.5 mil guaranteed. Um, keeping things in state, the Dallas Cowboys are keeping their cornerback, Trayvon Diggs, in tow, signing him to a five-year, $97 million contract extension. And Cole Komet in the Windy City uh, tight end is getting a four-year, $50 million extension with 32.8 mil guaranteed, including 20 mil in the first New Year cash. And then probably the biggest extension news of the week is going to come out of L.A. when Justin Herbert, quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers, signed a five-year, $262.5 million extension. Um, with the uh, $218.7 million guaranteed and $100 million in that first year. First, what are your thoughts on this contract? Too much? Too little? Not an What are your thoughts on this deal that Herbert signed? Oh, I mean, I can't say too much or too little. I think he's just the nature of the quarterback position when it comes down to contracts whenever it's a guy that's around a top 10 level talent or in their top 10 um, quarterback, they're just going to reset the market. So I think, like, for the time being, it's just right because you're going to look up and Joe Burrow is going to be next up to reset the market. So I think in a couple of years, you might look up and see, like, oh, this is actually a deal because of the market being reset with each new quarterback contract that has to be signed. That's a good point. Um, so he made a good amount of money more than Lamar Jackson did. I believe Lamar signed for 260 and I think 
I don't remember how much money that was fully guaranteed, but Justin Herbert did get significantly more money. In your personal opinion, do you think that he should have got more money than Lamar? Uh, I think that question is kind of like a it's a toss up because on one hand, at least at this point in their careers, Lamar has obviously accomplished way more than Justin Herbert has. But also on the other hand, Justin Herbert hasn't had the like decent injury history of Lamar Jackson, and he doesn't necessarily have the play style that could um, lead him to risking more injury than normal because of his play style like Lamar Jackson. So it's kind of, me personally, again, you know, this Lamar Jackson is my favorite quarterback in the NFL, so I would want Lamar to get more money, but it's it's a toss-up. I understand it from both sides. That's fair. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to Joe Burrow, who is the next quarterback in line to get an extension. I would be shocked if he got anything less than 280 mil and at least 225 fully guaranteed. I think the only way he doesn't do that is if he's really dead set on making sure that T. Higgins and Jamar Chase get their money because both of those guys have contracts coming up. Other than that, he's going to reset the market. Yeah. I think he. I think he's going to get best because he is going to make sure that he's going to get, especially Jamar. And rightfully so. I mean, he's talked about it at length that, you know, you got to be able to pay the guys around you. And, I mean, he did just see Jesse Bates walk out the door, who was the team star safety for years. Sure, that doesn't necessarily affect him as much because it's not a wide receiver, but you don't want to run the risk of losing some of your biggest playmakers because, truthfully, T. Higgins is a number one receiver in his own right. And so I don't think that they should let him walk out the door unless they are truly confident that they're going to be able to replace him, which that's a really hard sell. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some overall league news. After months and months of speculation, it has finally been confirmed that the Washington Commanders are officially sold um, for $6.05 billion. The Washington Commanders will be leaving the hands of Dan Snyder to a group led by Josh Harris and most importantly, including all-time NBA great Magic Johnson. Um, Dan, for those who don't know, Dan Snyder has led the group that purchased the franchise back in 1999 for 800 and 800 million dollars, and then 24 years later, sells the team for six bill, which comes to out to a 700 percent return on his initial investment, and makes the Commanders the highest. Uh, the most expensive North American sports franchise. Now, Dan Snyder's out the door. Everybody seems to be excited about that fact. And I'm sure it also doesn't hurt that the team is now able to kind of get out of the shadow of his negativity and possibly even go for a rebrand. Reportedly, there are talks about the owners wanting to change the new name and change some other things about the team. So what do you think? Do you think that the commanders as we know them now, should go undergo a rebrand, or should they stick it out with what they're currently going for? They should definitely go under a rebrand, because first, let's just out, let me not touch on the thing. Like, I remember um, them, like, seeing articles and seeing videos talking about their stadium be drastic upgrades. And so I think in that case, like, that's the first thing that they should do. They should upgrade and update their stadium. Then, 
the simple thing is, yeah, it changed the name. Like, um, because still, in my opinion, the commander show is like one of the last things that done. That, that was a part of the Daniel Snyder here. I think it's just completely removed itself from that association and, um, excuse me, just start fresh. And, like, I mean, I'm obviously not not a Washington fan, but I'm happy for the franchise. I'm honestly I'm happy for the NFL. He's not an honor. Yeah, I think a rebrand is going to be coming as well. I don't think it'll be like an immediate thing of them like changing their name. But like you said, the stadium, because I'm sure you probably remember that video. I think they were playing the Eagles. And all of a sudden, the side of like the uh, stands collapsed almost onto Jalen Hurts. It was crazy. So, yeah, that would definitely be the first thing I'd want to do. So, I'm sure with this new ownership group, they're going to want to try to revamp the roster, try to turn things around and get things back on track and get Washington back to the story history that they had. I think it's going to take some time to do that. But I think a rebrand is definitely the right way to go. But, all right, here are a couple of injury news coming out of training camp, starting with Naheem Hines running back for the Buffalo Bills in an unexpected incident. Um, He, while he was on a – uh, what was it, a jet ski? Somebody ran into him, causing him serious but non-life-threatening injuries, which means he's more than likely going to miss the 2023 season. Prayers up to him because that is such a freak thing to happen. And uh, safety for the Detroit Lions, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson suffered a leg injury at practice and was carted off. While there seems to be no structural damage found, it is expected he is going to be quite limited at practices. Even, like I said, not too, too crazy in terms of what happened with Chauncey Garner-Johnson, but do you think because of training camp and this is the first time guys are getting back active and starting to get into contact more, do you think that we may see some star players be a bit limited, or do you think it's going to be all systems go? Um, I mean, I think you're going to see, like, the normal wear and tear injuries of um, training camp. You might get those a couple bigger injuries, like ACL tears. Things they mentioned. Um, I know I've listened to a couple like podcasts that are ran by like either former NFL players or current NFL players, and I've heard them say like several times where it's like the minute trying to come starts, no one's on, no one's one hundred percent, and so it should kind of let you know that like it's going to be things that are happening that will be like nagging, small injuries that might occur during trying to count. So, I would lean more towards that side. Yeah, and I mean, from the, what, one training cap practice I've watched as of today um, that the culture run, I mean, it was really, really fast-paced. They were in and out in an hour. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure, especially if you haven't really been doing a lot or you haven't, you know, been in football shape or doing anything football-related, having everything happen so, so fast, the drills coming at you quickly, the play is coming at you quickly, I'm sure your body is going to take a little bit for your body to get back used to that speed and back used to that physicality, which I think does play a role in some of those nagging injuries that we see during training camp. So I don't think that teams are going to play scared, especially because this is really the time where they're leading up to the season and trying to get ready for the start of the season because the preseason starts technically um next week no the week after next i believe is the hall of fame game 
No, I lied. Next week is the Hall of Fame game, and then everybody else plays that following week. So things are going to start getting really, really hectic, and you want to make sure that your players are prepared. So I don't think it's going to be a major change in how the priest, I mean, not priest, how the training camp goes. But I wouldn't be surprised if when you hear little stuff like, oh, my hammy's hurt or my ankle's kind of sore, guys will be held out as opposed to during the regular season. But all right, let's go ahead and get to our offensive player rankings. Now, last week we talked about ESPN's Tom 10 ratings for each position. We said we weren't going to get too, too deep in depth in that because we do our own list every year. And we are starting that this week on the offensive side of the ball. And just as everything does when it comes to offense, start with the quarterback, so are we. So let's go ahead and start off with our top five best quarterbacks coming into this season. Ethan, you could go first. All right. Uh, I'm going from five to one from one to five. Um, it's up to you. All right. Let's just go ahead and go from one to five. Let's get the obvious one out. Yeah. Number one is Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, same. I mean, I don't think there's really much that needs to be added onto that one. Number number two, your boy, Joe Bear, Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow. Yeah, again, we are in agreement. I mean, everybody knows that Patrick Mahomes is number one, but in my opinion, I think Joe Burrow has a firm spot on that number two. Number three, the Madden 24 cover athlete, the guy that I have uh, a not-so-fun relationship from a fan perspective of Josh Allen. We're in agreement. Number four, this is where you might defer. I'm going to say when he'll be Lamar Jackson. This is where I see Jalen Hurts. Um, I think that this past season showed that now that Jalen Hurts not only got some weapons but has a great offensive line in front of him, he was able to show just how important he was not only to Philly but to the league. I mean, the man was a monster. And I think that, yes, with Shane Steichen going, it's going to be interesting to see how that offense overall is going to look. But I think that Jalen Hurts has really positioned himself as one of not only the most explosive, but one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So he'd be my four. My number five is Jalen Hurts. All right, my number five is Justin Herbert. If we're talking purely healthy, then, yeah, sure, Lamar will be my top five. But, I mean, he hasn't been fully healthy in the past two years. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the NFL's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And when Lamar is great and healthy, we know he's one of the most elusive and game-changing players in the entire league. However, we just have not seen that on a consistent basis. And so because of that, it makes it hard for me to put him at in the top five. But he's six for sure. But any I can't go no higher than that. All right, let's go running backs. Uh, for me, starting at number one, I would go Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb is – it's interesting to see him finally get his due because he's been amazing since he got into the league. But, I mean, when you have guys like Christian McCaffrey in their prime, Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, like the guys who games are a bit more flashier, they can kind of push Nick Chubb onto the back burner. But I think that these past couple of years has solidified him as the man. Number one for me is also Nick Chubb. All right, number two for me is Christian McCaffrey. 
he mentioned that the best thing that ever happened to him was getting traded to San Francisco, and it's clear to see why. I mean, he was already having a really, really good year with Carolina this past season, but once he made it to the Bay, he really just showed everybody why he was such a highly talked about player. I mean, great out of the backfield, still has great hands, even can block for you when you need him to. I mean, Christian McCaffrey really can do it all. Yeah, number two for me is Christian McCaffrey also. All right, number three for me is Derrick Henry. Now, I understand one could argue he might have lost a step if you, if you want to even go that far, but it just blows me how people are, like, arguing he's not even top five anymore. Like, this man still is not the life, the heart and soul of the Tennessee Titans offense, and without him, they look like a shell of its former self. My number three is Derrick Henry as well, but before we go to, you, to the number four, let me just look at Derrick Henry's stats from last season for those that think he shouldn't be, you know, in the top five. Because they act like he didn't have an amazing year last year either. All right, so last year was 22. Mm-hmm. At 15, 1,538 rushing yards, averaged 4.4 yards in an attempt, and had 13 carries. I mean, 13 touchdowns. I take that. I take that every year. Like, yeah, like, if there's some quote-unquote losing a step, there's some running back's career here. Yeah. Honestly, that's some running back's career, period. <laughs> True. So, yeah. Also, in breaking news, it has been reported by Tom Pelissero that Aaron Rodgers has agreed to a two-year, $75 million guaranteed contract through the 2024 season with the Jets, essentially knocking off that $100 million cap number that he was supposed to get in his second year. So, hooray for the Jets. I don't really have anything to add about that, but unless you got something you want to say. I don't care. It's not my team. Yeah, got that right. All right, uh, number four, I'm going Saquon Barkley. He's another guy, like, when he is healthy, he is so valuable. One of the most valuable players to their team, period, because we've seen what the Giants look like when he's on the field and when he's not on the field. And I think that this past year showed that he is a top five guy when healthy. Yeah, for me, number four is Saquon. And then number five, Josh Jacobs. Uh, led the league in rushing last year, had over 1,800 r- rushing yards. He really kind of exploded. And if we're talking careers, would he be in my top five? No. But, again, with running backs, I feel like you kind of got to take things as they come and base them more so off of their last season as opposed to overall just because things change so much. And Josh Jacobs looked like the best back in the league, and so he he's earned a right in the top five. This is where we defer because my number five is Austin Eckler. That's fair. Austin Eckler is definitely top ten for me. Probably at worst, like, seven or eight. All right, wide receivers. Wide receivers. My number one is your guy, Jay Jettles. There's nothing to explain. Yeah. Yeah, he a killer. Number two. (sighs) This is tough. No, it's not tough. Number two, I'm going Devontae Adams. We are in agreement. I also have Devontae Adams. Alright, number three, Stefan Diggs. This is where we disagree. I love me some Stefan, but I would be remiss if I didn't put Tyreek Hill here. 
Nazi hot this shirt. Uh, my number four is Tyree. My number four is Cooper Cup. I think people are forgetting just how bad of a man Cooper Cup is, as if before he got hurt, he wasn't leading the league in receiving. And I understand. Matthew Stafford might have been throwing him the ball 30 times a game, but I mean, even still, Cooper Cup was going crazy this past year. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So he's my four. My number five is Jamar Chase. I love Jamar Chase, but my five is Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs, I believe, is definitely still top five. I know people are trying to make it more out to what be what it was when he didn't show up to mandatory OTAs on time and everybody was trying to make it seem like, oh, is he trying to get a trade, blah, blah, blah. He's not going nowhere, and it makes no sense for him to go anywhere. He makes Josh Allen look good, and Josh Allen helps to him to extenuate his talent. So, yeah, definitely top five for me. All right, tight ends. Travis Kelsey's obviously number one. I will not accept any other answer. All right, number two, George Kittle. Great blocker, great hands. Really only knock is just inconsistency in terms of staying healthy. But when he's on the field, I mean, he is an absolute force. In my opinion, I still believe he is the 49ers' best offensive weapon. All right, three, my main man, Mark Andrews. I mean, when in doubt, Mandrews is out there somewhere. We've seen it in Baltimore countless years. Wide receivers aren't healthy or they're dropping balls. It doesn't matter. Mark Andrews in the middle of the field doing work. Whether it's Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson, we can always count on 89 out there. Agree with Mark Andrews at three. All right, number four, I got TJ Hawkinson. I feel like he's become a bit underrated as if he didn't have a great year this past year, especially after getting traded to the Vikings. I mean, he was already the man by himself, but then you pair him up with a guy like Jay Jettas and, at the time, Dalvin Cook. It's only going to create more opportunities for him on the inside, and he made the most of them. I agree with you, T.J. Hawkins. All right, and the number five for me is Dallas Goddard. Coming off of a career year uh, this past year in Philly, I mean – he wasn't Jalen Hurts' favorite target, but he looked like it a lot of times. So, um, and I think that this year is only going to be bigger and better for him. This is where we defer. Um, I would put Darren Waller at five. That that's fair. Darren Waller. <laughs> It's, it's weird. Darren Waller, when he is good, he is very good. But I think he lacks the consistency of Dallas Goddard, which I think is why I would give Goddard the nod over him. But if he puts out like a thousand plus yard a year with the Giants, then he'll for sure be back in my top five. But right now, I don't think I could put him there. Um, all right, let's go top five O-line. We're not going to go by top five guards, top five tackles. We're just going to do offensive line groups as a whole. You want me to go first on this one, or you want to go? Uh, you can go first. All right, bet. Uh, number one, I got Philly. Sorry. Number two, I got Cleveland, arguably the best guard tandem in the league. Jedrick Wills has his moments, but he's still solid. And then um, – Jack Conklin, when he's healthy, is still holding it down at right tackle. Uh, number three, I got Detroit. I mean, a great group of younger guys. Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Panay Suel has really started coming to his own. They've just – and I'll say this. The Lions may have had problems for years, but their offensive line has not been one of them. Same. Um, moving on to my number four, this is where I have the Dallas Cowboys – 
I kind of want to put an asterisk on when they're healthy, but, I mean, Tyron Smith is still one of the best left tackles in the game. Zach Martin, the best guard in the game. Um, their rookie, uh, Tyler Smith, made some big strides over the course of the season. Got to give him his props for that. So, I will go Cowboys at four. Five. And then number five, I'm going Baltimore. May not have the sexiest names along the line, but they get the job done. Morgan Moses at right tackle has been the man this past year. Had a great season. Kevin Zeitler, another one. Ronnie Stanley at left tackle. Tyler Linderbaum really looked like one of, if not the best rookie old lineman this past year. And there's a couple of questions up there regarding left guard spot, but it's seen time and time again. They always find a guy to kind of plug and play and keep Lamar upright and get that run game going. I don't know if I can go San Fran since Mike McGlinchey's gone. Because I, I don't even know who their right tackle is going to be right now. That's true. Okay. But, yeah, all right, that is our top five offensive rankings. Next week we will be coming with our defensive rankings, which is one of my favorite things to do because defense is so much – so much more fun than offense. No offense to any offensive fans out there. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery. And we're taking things down to Dallas, Texas, looking ahead at their defense. They made some pretty strong moves across the board, whether that be bringing in a guy like Stefan Gilmore, um, making sure that they keep guys in tow, um, like the Demarcus Lawrences, Leighton Vander S is back in the fold. Uh, Donovan Smith, they decided to bring back as safety. They locked up Trayvon Diggs. They've made some pretty smart defensive decisions across the board, so much so that Ryan Clark on ESPN was very confident in their ability, saying, sitting right here, right before training camp starts, I believe they have a chance to be the best defense in the entire league. So, believable or before the Cowboys' defense will become the top unit in the league by the end of the season. Uh I'm going to say I can see some belief in it. I think because, in my opinion, the Stephon Gilmore signing was a big key to that. Because, like, with Trayvon Diggs, like, he's a great um, gambler at corner, but he isn't really a lockdown in the corner by any means. He just finds, he finds his way to the ball. He's had to be turnovers. But you can get a guy like, Stephon, who even these other years, you can still put him on some good ones and some and some number twos, and they can make it happen. And then you just pair that up with that front seven with, like you said, the Marcus Lawrence, Michael Parsons, um, Leighton Vanders, and um, the Ricky DT that they draft, uh, Mozzie Smith, yeah, that they got from Michigan. And, like, if they're able to stop the run and he can play a key point part of it, I wouldn't be surprised if they were the top defense. I have questions at safety. I know I'd mentioned Donovan Wilson. Um... I think that is easily their biggest weakness on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think in cases where Stephon Gilmore or Trayvon Diggs end up getting beat, I think they're kind of screwed just because I don't trust the guys that they have over the top to handle that. Um, but other than that, I do think that they are strong just about everywhere else. So I could see some belief to it. I don't think that will end up being the case because I think the 49ers are still there. They're obviously going to be a tough showing. 
I mean, truth be told, I think the Steelers' defense has potential to be really, really, really good. The Jets are another unit. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if they will be the best, but I think top five is – I'm not a guarantee, but if I was a betting woman, I, I would be willing to put that bet down. But speaking of the Dallas Cowboys, Michael Parsons recently did an interview on the con- the players' value and by comparison to how much they're being paid. A prime example of this he mentioned was Travis Kelsey, saying, Kelsey should be paid like a wide receiver. He has more production than 75% of wide receivers. I don't think a player's value should be based on position, but by what they bring to the team. So... Just by for comparison's sake, Travis Kelsey's contract makes him the third highest paid tight end, which is insane, but would only make him the 19th highest paid wide receiver. Last season, he was the eighth, he was finished eighth in receiving yards with over 1,300 yards. So, believable or buffoonery, players' contracts should be based on value rather than position. Believable. I mean, if you look at it from any. If you look at it in the context of like a regular job, they pay you based on how you perform. They don't pay you based on your position. Like your position plays a part in it, but the the talking point around your pay comes around the context of like what you able to do your job with. And in the case of Travis Kelsey, he's able to do his job extremely well. So you should be compensated as such. I totally agree. But do you think we will ever see a day when that happens? No. Yeah, no. I don't think... The sad thing is I don't really think you can feasibly do that because then it comes down to, for example, Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones are a perfect example. Everybody and their mama knows that Saquon Barkley is more valuable to the Giants than Daniel Jones is. However, are you giving Saquon Barkley $40 million a year? That's true. I think, would I give Saquon Barkley $40 million a year? Hmm? Yeah, I would. There's no way I'm giving any running back in this day and age $40 million a year. Should he be paid more than Daniel Jones, in my opinion? Absolutely. But realistically, no. I, I just don't. I think the position is just too, it's too fickle of a position. And like everybody knows, they're going through car crashes every week. That's as, that's a lot of money you're putting on a running back. So I wouldn't give him $40 million a year. Should he make more than Daniel Jones? Yes, he's more valuable. But I don't think that day is going to come. Another example, looking at Baltimore, Justin Ticker, I mean, Justin Tucker, is arguably the greatest kicker of all time, easily the best kicker in the league. However, do you think there is ever going to be a day when he's going to make 20 mil a year or any kicker? Uh, so I just thought about the only way that I could potentially ever see this happen is if, and the only reason I thought about this is because of something that we probably will talk about maybe later, is if for whatever reason, the NFL was a double partner with the Saudi Arabia It's just giving people money for no reason. Yeah, I, I still I don't, don't think, think it would happen. But that is the only way that I can see something like that happening because. Like, oh yeah, because they have unlimited funds. Yeah. 
yeah, I yeah, I don't think I don't think that would ever happen. But yeah, I think that would be the only way that people players would be making that crazy of money, regardless of position. But like, yeah, I think not saying there are positions that don't need to be paid more. Obviously, running backs are one of them. But it it's never gonna be a day when they're making forty mil a year or like they're making more than their quarterback. The only exception would probably be like in San Francisco. Because Christian McCaffrey is making bank, and Brock Purdy was the last pick of last year's draft. So, by comparison, he's not making nothing. Other than that, no. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move on. Keeping on the conversation of quarterbacks with a little bit of running ability, Justin Fields has been a guy who a lot of people have been excited about following this past season. He led all quarterbacks in rushing yards, topped over 1,000, nearly broke the single-season rushing record, and has become a fantasy darling. However, Colin Coward is saying that is all he really is. He said right now, Justin Fields is a bust. He's five to, He's five of 20, meaning passing. He's a YouTube quarterback. His highlights are great. So, believable or buffoonery, Justin Fields is becoming overrated. Uh, I'm gonna say believable because I do agree from the passing aspect. He's left a lot to be desired. I also know that he hasn't had an O-line or a, like, a good receiving core outside of Darnell Monkey. But I definitely think that, like, from him going from year one to year two, I thought he would have had a bit of more of a defensive passer. Yeah, I'm calling believable on that as well. Because, I mean, again, if you're talking fantasy football – Sure, Justin Fields is great, racks up those yards, he's running for his life. But, yeah, as a passer, it has, passer, it has left much to be desired. And you can make an argument, oh, well, he hasn't had weapons, he hasn't had this, he hasn't had that. But at the end of the day, if you're not really accurate, you're not really accurate. And I think that this year will be a really big test to see if he does make those strides because he did get help along the offensive line. They brought in um, DJ Moore, and they signed Robert Tunyon, another talented tight end, stealing him away from the Packers. So I think that this is going to be the time for him to show, hey, I really am that dude. I can play, and I can throw the ball effectively. Because, I mean, and we've seen every Russian quarterback kind of have to go through this. Lamar Jackson has had to go through it. Jalen Hurts. Even Josh Allen kind of had to answer some of these questions as well. So I think this third year is going to be huge for him in terms of being more balanced as a player. But all right, a couple more questions before we get out of here. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, his newest toy is Odell Beckham Jr. We talked about being a street legend, and OBJ is one of those guys. However, injuries have definitely taken a hit on his career, causing him to miss all of last season and before eventually signing with Baltimore this offseason. And he admitted that he contemplated retirement after tearing his ACL for the second time in this past year's Super Bowl and is and reportedly has the mindset that he's thinking like this is his last year. He said, I'm thinking like this is my last year. I'm going to give it my all this year. Um, and then he added, and then if something happens after that, we can go from there. So believable or buffoonery, OBJ will retire after the 2023 season. I'm going to say believable because he's coming off back-to-back ACL tears. And if I'm not mistaken, is it OBJ like, like in his 30s or in his 30s? He's like early 30s. 
So yeah, this this old old there for NFL. Um, well not oh, not really, but this kind of older for for NFL a wide receiver, thirties like downhill, technically. Yeah, technically, and he's coming off of two ACL tears. I think I think a lot of it hinges on how he does this season. Like if he is able to come back and still kind of look like not New York Odell, but yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it just depends on his production because, God forbid, he gets hurt again, which, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. Um, Yeah, I think after that it's going to be crazy, especially if it's a serious injury. Like, you can only take so much mentally and physically, and if he suffers another serious injury that potentially not only is it going to be harder to come back from, but I'm sure teams are going to look at him kind of blacklisted and be like they don't even know if they want to take the risk on him because you mentioned he is getting a bit older and he has suffered some significant injuries in his past. So, But I think if he does have a really good year, I won't even say 1,000 yards, but if he tops over 800 yards and maybe six touchdowns, I think he'd come back because I think he'd prove to himself and everybody that he can still play. Um, obviously, as an Odell fan and considering he plays for my favorite team, I want him to be great. I want him to have an amazing season. So, But I could absolutely believe there is some truth to him potentially retiring after this season. But all right, last question before we move on to the NBA. We talked about it a little bit ago, but Aaron Rodgers did restructure his contract, taking a $35 million pay cut um, to sign a two-year, $75 million fully guaranteed deal. And he was asked about his commitment to the New York Jets, especially because, for those of you who don't know, before he went into the wilderness, he said that he was 90% leaning towards retirement. That has people always asking if he is going to retire after this season because he will be over 40. Um, He answered that question by saying, the Jets gave up a lot for me. So to just play one year, I think would be a disservice. So believable or buffoonery, Aaron Rodgers will play at least two seasons with the Jets. I think it's believable. I don't know if he'll play good in both of those seasons, but I definitely see I kind of look at that how we were talking about with Odell. I think that if he has a bad season or a season bad by his standards, I can see him retiring and being like, nah, I'm good. Or if he suffers a serious injury, because like I said, man's about to be 40. Um, And so, but if he has a great year or it's kind of a situation like with Tom Brady, where his second to last year where it makes the playoffs and kind of comes up just short of advancing to the NFC Championship or in the case of Aaron Rodgers, the AFC Championship, I could see him wanting to come back and go after that brass ring. But it's it's just all dependent on how the season goes. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Got some contract extensions to talk about. First, coming out of Chicago, restricted free agent guard A.O. DeSunamu. De- I think that's how you say it. Sorry if it's not. Uh, resigns with the Chicago Bulls on a three-year, $21 million deal. And Boston Celtics star guard Jalen Brown has agreed to the richest deal in NBA history, signing a five-year, $304 million Supermax contract with the Celtics. I know you've not t- you and I have kind of talked about it leading up to this about whether or not the Celtics can even afford to give him a Supermax and Jason Tatum a Supermax. But it's done now. Do you think the Celtics made the right decision giving Jalen Brown that money? Um, I'm going to say yes because in my, the way that I view these people is getting out of these big contracts, I think about it from the 
kind of like a long-term thought perspective of like each year the cap goes up. So when each year the cap goes up, that deal isn't going to look nearly as bad as it sounds the day that he signed you. And like the next star level player is going to make all you get. They're going to be in line for the super maximum and they're going to sign the deal that's higher than use. So I think the only thing that would be hard for the Celtics is because in a couple of years it'll be tricky because a beautiful thing that they had is they had number Jason Tatum and they've also had other really good players around them, i.e. Marcus Smart, Al Horsford, um, like bringing in Derek White, all of these guys having great wings, but now when you when you kind of commit such a large chunk of money, one guy or other guys need to get paid higher to fit out the rest of your roster. Yeah, I think that's mainly how I'm looking at it because now it's like Tatum got his money, Jalen Brown got his money. How are you going to build the roster? Like, I get you just brought in Kristaps Porzingis, but do you even have money, especially with the luxury tax coming in, and that's going to have a big effect on teams? Are you even going to have the money to add much more to this squad? Because now it seems like you truly are committing yourself to the duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being able to bring you a championship. And this isn't to say that they can't do it. I mean, because both are incredibly talented. But I think I think I've seen enough so far to say that I think those two being the guys, I don't trust that they can bring a championship to Boston. I think they need just a little extra oomph. I don't, at this very moment, I don't know what that extra oomph would be, but I just don't think at this stage I see Boston as a championship team with their current roster. What are your thoughts? Do you think that they are a championship caliber team with the roster they have right now? I mean, in my opinion, the reality of it is Jalen Brown and Jason Taylor have shown that they can at least give a team to the finals. Yes, I would agree with that. And so, because in my, in, my, in my personal opinion, outside of like the scenario of this past NBA Finals where it was the heat that was just completely overmatched by the Nuggets, once you get two teams in the finals, it's, it's anyone's ball game. You know, like when you have a team like the Celtics, if they're healthy, and like if those two guys can play to their both can play to their maximum potential, I could see them winning at least one championship with even with the roster that they have now. Because like they still have a fairly competent roster around those guys. Like yes, you lose in my opinion the heart and soul of those teams and Marcus Smart, but like you have like Derek White, he proved his class playoffs that he could be a really, a really key piece for them. I know that they wanted to trade Malcolm Brogdon before the trade got through because of his elbow. But like when Malcolm Brogdon tells me, he could be a really good player for the Celtics. Al Horford, he's a little older, but you you bring in Kristaps Porzingis, and really you don't have to expect much out of Kristaps outside of being a rim protector. 
and probably making the occasional basket here and there. You're not asking for him to be a focal point. So like I could I could see them winning, especially like when you look at the West and it's like in my opinion the team that I would going into the season that I would have probably put my money on going back to the finals would have been Denver, but they they got they lost some pieces. Like I think losing Bruce Brown was a big piece for them. You look at a team like my Grizzlies, like I think what they've done is great, but they, they're still gonna have questions in small forward. You look at the Suns, like they put all this money into KD, D Book, and Bradley Beal. They don't have any depth anywhere else. You look at the Warriors, they're like the perfect enigma. Like they can even be we don't know what they're necessarily gonna look like because they could be they could either be great and motivated or they could be what they look like last year was a team that was up and down. And like the East, the East is a battle for between, in my opinion, between the Celtics, the Bucks, and the uh, the Seventy Sixers. And like I can see the Celtics coming out, and I know Miami talks for Dame Lillard. Like even if they get Dame, I don't necessarily think they push them over Boston. So I can see them again. I can see them winning that championship. Like that doesn't they wouldn't shock. That's fair. I again I think that they have potential to be really good. I just I think they can make the finals. I just don't know with their current roster if they can get over the hump and bring a championship. But I could absolutely be wrong. Not the first time and definitely not gonna be the last. But all right, you mentioned Phoenix and the money that they expended to bring in guys like K D and most recently Bradley Beal. And one of the guys we thought was going to be on the move was DeAndre Ayton. However, that does not look to be the case. However, that may not be a bad thing. Um, in a recent interview with Eyewitness News Bahamas, DeAndre Ayton talked about his league-wide image and said, I can feel the whole world hating me. I feel like I have no fans out here, and I can feel it because the whole world's saying it. And my goal this whole summer is to change the narrative. So, I mean... Let's be honest, when you think about the Phoenix Suns, DeAndre Ayton, despite being, I believe he was the first overall pick in his draft, is not a guy who you think about. However, do you think that this will be the season that he changes everybody's mind and becomes, for lack of a better word, a household name? No. There's too many other star level players on this team for people to really pay attention to him because everybody's going to be paying attention initially to have this Bradley Bill fit into the equation. Then they're gonna look at KD and then they're gonna look at D Like he he's on the other way he will be able to be a household name is he would have to say he would go to a team like Charlotte. And he will that's how he will become a household name by performing on a team like that and maybe helping them at the playoffs. But on a team like Phoenix, there's too many other big fish in that pond. So people don't really care about him. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I think that he could still have a fine season. But just in terms of, like, raising his national profile, I don't think that's going to happen. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable Buffooner or Buffoonery before we get out of here. And let's go ahead and talk player requesting trades. I mean, it seems like every year, almost every year, a star player requests a trade from their team. 
However, it's become more of a recent trend for players to specifically target certain locations. While for fans of those teams, it can be a bit exciting for the league, or at least in the opinion of Austin Rivers, it is not a good thing. In a recent interview, he talked about the Damian Lillard saga and said that this all started with James Harden and Ben Simmons and all these guys doing this shit. It's bad for the league. So, believable or buffoonery, players requesting specific trades are hurting the NBA. Uh, um, I'm going to say, I think it's a mixed bag, and I have to make it. Like, let's take the Damian Lillard saga, for an example. I think it's helping the league right now in the offseason because it's still making the NBA relevant. Like, normally this time of year, when it's the only sport that's really on, that's a quote-unquote major sport, is baseball like outside of NBA free agency? The, the, the NBA is kind of like an afterthought, and like right now, a lot of the free agency moves have happened. So, with their hat, with this Damian Lillard stuff, it's put the NBA in kind of like still in somewhat of a like um, a forefront on people's minds. I do think, in a sense, it is bad because it's kind of just like, okay, we're, we're just letting people decide where they want to go and then we're letting them go. And, like, that, when you think about it in a sense of the, the small market teams, like, I think that's unfair. Like, because, of, like, being a fan of a quote-unquote small market team here in Memphis, like, we're never going to have situations where people are going to be like, hey, try to be two minutes. Like, but we can have a situation where you can have guys that say, like, hey, I want to be traded from Memphis to this particular team. And then it's almost like right on the wall when it happens. So I think it's a mix. It's a mixed bag. Yeah, I think so, too, because at the end of the day, a player can say where they want to go, but there's no guarantee that's actually where they're going to go. And so in the case of Dame, because he has given so much to Portland, I hope he does get what he wants, and I hope he gets to go on a winning team and then go from there. But, like, yeah, overall, I mean, we've seen it not work out. Like, both of the examples that Austin Rivers mentioned in James Harden and Ben Simmons did not work out. And so I think that in seeing that, I think it's kind of made players a bit more hesitant to request those types of trades because it's no guarantee that, A, you're going to get where you want to go, but, B, that you're even going to have success there because the grass ain't always greener. And so because of that, I agree with you. I think it just kind of depends on the situation. But I think you did make a really good point about it bringing more eyes to the league because this is kind of a bit of a dead period. Because, honestly, right now I'm in football mode. Like, football is right on the horizon. I couldn't care no less about ba- baseball, basketball. I care about wrestling, even though I haven't been able to watch in a couple weeks. But I'm in full football mode. Like, I'm about to start getting ready to draft my fantasy football teams. But because of the Damian Lillard saga, it is making it interesting. Like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? Even though it is annoying because it's like either do the trade or don't. I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. But it does create an extra wrinkle for fans to be interested in because we don't know what's happening behind closed doors, and we won't know until something does end up happening. 
But let's go ahead and move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder, another small market team. However, it seems like they seem to be right on the cusp of doing big things, or at least that's what Richard Jefferson thinks so. When talking about the potential of the best big men in the league under 25, he mentioned Chet Holgram and said Chet Holgram is one of those guys. If he is even half of what we think he could be, the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be a problem. So believable or buffoonery with Chet Holgram and Toe, he is the missing piece for the Thunder to make a deep playoff run. Um, I'm not going to say they're making a deep playoff run, but I guess we can see them making the play-in slash first round of the playoffs. Because, uh, honestly, they, are, they came close last year. Right. And you add in Chet Homer, who is a, a big day. If it works... He could be a rim protector slash full floor spacer because he can knock down a three. And like you can just clear room for more room for shot. Like I that could be good enough. But I think I'm also not a big Chet Holmgren guy. So I'm I I haven't really bought into the hype like everyone else. Um, but I do think that like if you add him in, he's able to and this I'm happy you mentioned that about Chet because I'm not exactly I don't think he's gonna be bad by any means and I'm not wishing anything bad on him but I'm just I'm interested to see where how he pans out kind of similar to Victor Wimbenyama like obviously it's very different levels of height but I think that they are gonna face a similar issue in terms of their frame and I'm not saying you got to be big and bulky to play and have success in the NBA, but they are both really, really slight of frame. And I think that bigger centers and bigger forwards are going to give them problems in the post. So we talked about this with Wimby. Do you think that Chet is going to have that same issue once the season gets underway? I think I think Chet might have more than Wimby because Chet is just seven foot. And Wimby is, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, seven and a half, or something like that. And it's also the reality. I don't think Wimby's going to be playing center. I think he's going to actually be playing like power forward. And in today's NBA, being a power forward, you're not really doing that much banging. Um, but in the case of Chet, you might have to go against a guy like like a Nikola Jokic or like a Joe um or like a even not from like an offensive standpoint, but going up against a grown man like Stephen Adams. Um, so I can see him having like his frame because I think he'll he'll end up playing the five because if I'm not mistaken. Taylor Williams, who played center for them last year. I think he's like 6'8". Something like that. Yeah, so they're going to have, they're going to want the seven-footer to be at the five. So I think he'll run into a big issue. I think, I think they're both going to run into an issue between guys, like, testing the physical, like, how physical can they handle, like, how much can they handle from a physicality standpoint? Like, I remember I, wa- I watched Wimby's debut, and, like, 
I remember he tried to um, post up Brandon Miller, and Brandon Miller like ripped on the counter, like bullied him a little bit. And I'm like, this Brandon Miller, like this isn't even one of the like premier players in this league. Like I can kind of just imagine what it's gonna look like when you face a guy like, especially a guy like Giannis from the case of Chick, who's essentially the same height, but but what's significantly bigger and has a has a religious motor. Like I think it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. All right. Last piece, Paul Pierce. The man who, a part of, let me rephrase that. A man who was on the team that has milked a championship more than any other championship in all the sports. It always seems like whenever he gives his opinion, he, he just likes to make waves. And I don't know how serious he's being or if he really believes his own hype. But we'll be the judge of that in a second. Recently, he joined the It Is What It Is podcast and again made a comparison between himself and Dwayne Wade, saying, put Shaq on my team, put LeBron and Bosh with me. I'm not going to win one. Friendly reminder, back in Dwayne Wade's second season, I believe, second or third season in the NBA, he won his first NBA championship with Shaq and outplayed Shaq. I'll argue that point down. Then... When LeBron James and Chris Bosh came into town, they won two more rings. So, maybe we're looking at Paul Pierce wrong. Maybe if the roles were reversed, he would have more than one ring. So, believable or buffoonery, Paul Pierce is better than Dwayne Wade. Uh, you know the, uh, you know the Dose East commercials when I say the most interesting man in the world? Yes. Paul Pierce is the most delusional man in the history ever. And so I will say this. If you were to put Paul Pierce with LeBron James and Curtis Bosch, would he have won another NBA championship? 100%. Absolutely, because you're playing with LeBron James at the point in his career where he was arguably without a shadow of a doubt the best player in the NBA. So, of course, you're going to win one with him. Now, if you put Paul Pierce on that Miami Heat team that had Shaquille O'Neal... No shot. Because when that team was assembled, I I wouldn't say I was a Heat fan, but I had a lot of interest in the Heat because Shaq was my favorite player at the time. And if it wasn't for Dwayne Wade, they wouldn't have made it as far as they made it. Because it was, like, it was, I remember, I think it was game two, that finals against the Mavs, where Dwayne Wade had, like, 40, and he had, like, 20-plus free throws, and he carried them. Like, in that series, if I'm not mistaken, Shaq was on the average in, like, maybe at best 20, but it wasn't nothing crazy. Right. So, no, Paul Pierce won. No, he, he's not better than Dwayne Wade. Like, Dwayne Wade is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And Paul Pierce, in his own right, is a Hall of Famer, too. I know he's my least favorite player in NBA history. I've explained this. But I will give him his due. Paul Pierce, It's not like Paul Pierce was a bum. Paul Pierce was not a scrub by any means. However, like I was telling you off the air, Dwayne Wade's first ring is more impressive to me than Paul Pierce's ring. Because, like you said, he can't. Sorry, he carried 
the Heat during that series. Not to dis diminish Paul Pierce, he had a good finals against my squad. I understand that. But you also could rely on Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, who was at the height, arguably the height of his powers. Um, Rajon Rondo was balling too. Collectively, that team from top to bottom was way better than that Heat team that won a championship. And Paul Pierce was more so just another guy on that squad instead of undisputedly the guy like Dwayne Wade was. So, no, Paul Pierce is not better than Dwayne Wade. Paul Pierce is fine. He had a great career, made the Hall of Fame, all that jazz. But to say you are better than Dwayne Wade is big cap. Big, uh, big cap. Not to even mention this, when you look at the team that Dwayne Wade had, think about it from this standpoint. If I'm not mistaken, their starting point guard was an older, was an older Jason Williams. Their backup point guard was an older um, Gary Payton. Shaq wasn't Shaq at that point. Like he was, he was like the last gas left of Shaq at that point. Um, if I'm not mistaken, their starting small forward was Antoine Walker. This wasn't the Antoine Walker that was getting budgets, and their starting power forward was Udonis Haslam. Yeah, pretty much. That was the squad. That was the roster. Um, yeah, not uh, Alonzo Mourning was towards the end of his career. Um, he was still there. Yeah, yeah Gary Payton, like you mentioned. It, it's not like this team was just loaded. So, yeah, nah. Big buffoonery on that, Paul Pierce, but... Not the first time, not the last time you're going to say something wild. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out TheExport.net. I repeat, TheExport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Tighten up. Go Grizz. I'm definitely like you. I'm in big football mode. I'm really, I'm like, I'm, like, fainting for football, so I've been watching a bunch of uh, football games, but I'm ready for, like, actual games to come on. And, uh, you know, Paul Pierce is really crazy, bro. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he, he said a lot of wild stuff. Because even when he said he was better than uh, Dwayne Wade the first time, pretty much everybody on set laughed at him. And guess yeah. what? People still laughing at you. Um, Football, yes. For those of you who don't know, um, for this season, I'm going to be working with the Indianapolis Colts. So if y'all want to check out my work, y'all can head over to the Colts.com website. So far, I've only already wrote like four articles. So check your girl out. Be there to support. Appreciate you. Um, yes. Also, SummerSlam is next week, which is crazy to think about. Uh, it's next Saturday. So we will have SummerSlam predictions coming up next week. Um, defensive player rankings. And then we're going to do our divisional breakdowns. All that great lead up stuff to the football season because I am so so excited for this season. I'm excited for every season, but I'm really excited for this season. Um, but yeah, again, thank y'all so much for listening. Uh, be sure to head over to the export. Check out what we're doing. Support me, Ethan, all that jazz. And we will see you all next time.